We'll be finishing up the chapter 17 through 20. I hope this, I really think this has the potential to, to, to be help in a lot of ways. And, and uh, but let's read this. We'll pray and, and get going from there. I'll also be praying uh, for Sharon as well. I, I, I'd imagine she is even home right now, is she? And she is 37, 38 weeks and just enjoying life right now. So um, be, be, <laughs> be praying for her. And those of you who are males, you can come to the altar and say thank you. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope uh, or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. For ye are our glory and joy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you for your word. I ask your blessing, Lord, upon the service tonight. I pray for your mercy and your grace and your help. Control what I say and how I say it. Lord, I pray this would feed your people. Lord, it would draw us closer to you. Lord, if there is anyone here that has never truly been converted, Lord, we do pray for that conviction and that drawing that even this evening they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. May you be glorified and honored. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's turn over real quick again to Acts 17. Um, Paul's, I think we need to review just briefly how this church got started. We did it the very first sermon here, but for this message, I think we need to look at, remind ourselves what took place when Paul went to Thessalonica. Remember, this is on his second missionary journey. He has crossed into Europe for the first time. The first missionary journey did not get into Europe. He has started the church in Philippi, and that's Acts chapter 16. He leaves Philippi, and he comes into Thessalonica. We'll pick it up in verse 2. He's now in Thessalonica. It says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered. Remember, that was the big hang-up, especially among Jews, that the Messiah, he died. They couldn't understand that. Anyhow, and risen again from the dead. And that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed, and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. And of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, Moved with envy. That's a powerful emotion, isn't it? Took unto them certain lewd fellows of baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason. Just picture what's going on there. Imagine if you're in Jason's house and sought to bring them out to the people. When they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, these, excuse me, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. Jason was a leader in the community, of course, even with the synagogue. Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. When they had taken security of Jason and of the others, they let them go. So here's what took place, what we just read, when this church got started. It, it started with battles, you know, 
uh, immediately, from the very birth of this church, Paul goes in as he did, he's preaching in the synagogues. Many of the Greeks turned to Christ, believing what he said, that, that, that Jesus Christ was, in fact, the answer, the Son of God, the Messiah, who we need to save us. And, and so there were people being converted, but of course the Jews who did not believe, they, they decide to try and stop Paul. They go and they get this, you know, basically a bunch of criminals together to come and cause a riot. They, they, they decide they're going to get Paul. They hear about it. So Paul escapes. Paul goes down to Berea. So he gets out. Him and Silas, Timothy, they get out, uh, out of Dodge there, and they head down to, uh, they head over to Berea. And anyhow, by the time they get there, they draw them all out. They bring them before the rulers of the city. And an agreement is made so that, uh, and it appears that the agreement is made, I'll talk about this more in a little bit, based on Paul, what he says here in this chapter was that Jason gave security of his own life if guaranteeing them that Paul would not return. And so, again, we see this church starting off. This, there's great trials, great opposition to it. Um, and the, we, we saw a, a couple weeks ago, last time, with the last message we were, and the suffering grew so much for this church that Paul compared it to the suffering of the churches in Judea. And that it was also their own country. Uh, uh, the Gentiles there, those in Thessalonica that were also per- persecuting them. So, it, it, again, so when Paul left, he had great concern for this church. You know, you could just see it, humanly speaking, in his mind, he probably wondered how they were going to survive this. He's hearing the persecution that's coming, how difficult it is, and he has a great desire to see them. He, he, he certainly wants to know, you're on my mind, you're on my heart, I haven't forgotten you. But he can't get there. And so our text does show much of his heart for this church and for his people. Paul loved people. He was a, a tremendous example of that. He cared for those that he worked with deeply. And in our text, we're going to look at today three things. We're going to see Paul restrained, the restrainer, and then Paul rejoicing. The truth is, when it comes to the Christian life, um, when you decide that you're going to serve God, when you decide, I want to do what's right, and you begin that, that path, there's going to be resistance. It's going to come up. Just, it, just mark it down. Every single time, there's going to be resistance. As a teenager, when I got serious, boy, did the resistance hit. Uh, my parents were divorced, but my dad just threw a fit. Just could not believe uh, what had happened. Now, he'd, he'd talk with me. You've been brainwashed. He'd pick me up and try and convince me out of it. At the same time, I'm trying to convince him of the gospel. So we were going back and forth. But then he had me removed from church. The church doesn't get him out. Take him to another church. That lasted not too long. I don't really remember even. A month or two, uh, maybe three months at the most. And I was able to go back to the church that I was actually a member of. But resistance certainly hit. Many times I think of those who, who maybe have been struggling with the Christian life or have been in a backsliding condition maybe the majority of the time or have went through a time where they've been you know, just struggling with their Christian walk. But they decide one day they're going to get right. There's not a time that this, this isn't true that I, I don't think of them greatly and start to pray. Because I know. You know, they, they have the service, they come down, they want to do what's right. They're not being a hypocrite with it. They mean business. They want to do what's right. They want to, they, they want to make it right. But the fact is, you know what happens? Monday morning comes. And all of a sudden, they find it's a battle. That there's a restrainer. There's a hinderer. There's something thwarting the efforts to move forward in the Christian life. There's a very real adversary 
who definitely tries to hinder and thwart those who are trying to please God. Paul was well aware of this. Paul knew when he left, he knew that church is going to face more battles. It concerned him. And just like us, we will face resistance in the Christian life. It is a fight. It is a battle. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I die daily. That's why he wrote in chapter 7, even speaking to those who, I was dealing with uh, uh, those who desire to do right, but then they struggle with it. The resistance comes. I think of Romans 7, the good that I would, I do not. Yet the evil that I would not, that I do. There's a resistor. We face resistance. Yet with Paul here, we almost have a, we have sort of an outline of what he did when he was resisted. And at the same time, the guy's still able to rejoice. So much we can learn from his life. So let's, let's dive into this. First off, restrained. Paul is restrained. He's hindered. Let me get back to... He said in verse 17, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Again, Paul was forced to leave Thessalonica, not when he wanted to. The events, the riot was taking place. Paul gets out, and, and he wanted to get back. It appears that when he went to Bria, his plan was to get back to Thessalonica pretty quickly. Um, that, and remember, this was the capital city of the region. This was, Paul knew this was a main hub. He knew the, uh, how advantageous it would be for the gospel with a strong church sitting in Thessalonica. So by, by putting together the first two chapters here with what happened on Acts, chap, uh, Acts chapter 17, Paul wanted to get back to them quickly, but it didn't happen. Probably because the agreement that was made was that Jason gave his own life assuring that Paul would not return. And so that hindered Paul from, from coming back. And Paul, of course, wanted them to know, listen, he, he wants them to know, listen, I'm trying to get back. I want to get back there. Paul does eventually make it back to Thessalonica, but it's, it's five years later. It's on his third missionary journey. That's when Paul gets back there. You have to go to Acts chapter 20 for that. So Paul was hindered. He's restrained. Yet we see three things here in this verse that Paul did when he was restrained. When he could not get to them. We're going to see he kept his heart, he kept his hard work, and he kept his hunger, the desire for it. Verse 17 says this, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. Paul recognized he could not get to them, the hindrance was in place, Satan was resisting. But he, listen, he kept his heart on, he kept his affection there. That never stopped, he didn't quit. You keep your heart where the Lord would have it. Paul had a responsibility to this church. He kept his heart there. He just didn't dismiss it. This is going to help Paul, one, of course, pray for them. Keep them on mind, trying to get the updates. We see what he does. Remember, they, he leaves Berea. They head down to Athens. And what does he do in Athens? I mean, you can see that. Actually, get into chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. He's, he's, going, he's going to say it. He, um, he gets down to Athens, and he really can't take it anymore. He sends Timothy, head back. Go to Thessalonica. I need to know what's going on there. Um, he has a heart for it. And the word that he used for being taken from is powerful. I didn't know that at all this week till studying this. It is the word that he used when he said, when I was taken from you. It conveys the meaning of this distress of an orphan. One who has been bereaved of parents. That's how it's used. 
So a deep sadness. Paul's saying, listen, when I, when I was taken from you, forced to leave. He's given the imagery of a child being separated from parents. Paul always had a love for his church. I was looking at the different verses. We're not going to turn there for time's sake. But you can see his love for the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 1. The church at Rome, Romans 16, 16. The church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. The church at Ephesus, Acts chapter 20, verse 36. On and on and on. He truly had a heart and a love for his people. Remember, I know it's been a few weeks, so you might not, but this was being challenged. Something was taking place in the church that was trying to put doubt in the hearts of the people about the Apostle Paul. That always can. That's one way the devil always works. Tries to sow those seeds as words and different things come in trying to sow doubt. That was happening about Paul. He, he doesn't really care. Remember, he dealt with that as he comes into chapter 2. That's what he's dealing with. And he's writing this in response. But Paul kept his heart. Remember, he talks, uh, which book is it? Philippians? I can't remember now. He, he, where he deals with, oh no, it's, it's in 2 Corinthians, how the, 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 the care of the churches that is on him. I mean, that was a genuine birth. He was listing that when he's going through everything, all the deep trials and suffering that he's gone through. And he finishes with that one, of the burden and the care of the churches that's on him. You can see it here. You can see when he's going to bed at night after he left us like a wondering what's happening there. He knew they were under great opposition. So he kept his heart there. He said, I'm absent in body, I know, but my heart is still with you. And then he kept his hard work as well. He endeavored. He didn't quit. He worked at trying to get to see them. And he did what he could, didn't he? Just like when he gets to Athens, he couldn't take it anymore. Timothy, head to Thessalonica. Head up there. Paul wanted to go himself, but he endeavored. That's one, one of many really good terms to describe Paul's life, endeavoring. Paul was not lazy when it came to ministry. He was willing to work. He wasn't looking for reasons not to go. He was trying to find the best way, any way that he could get there. And in all this, and we're going to get to this, how, why the Lord allowed the hindrances to come in and all that stuff before we finish here tonight. But in all this, what I love about Paul is he always allowed the Lord to guide. He did. And we'll see that as we develop this out. So, when he was restrained, he kept his heart, he kept his hard work, and he kept his hunger, thirdly here. Notice what he says. <clears throat> Endeavoring the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. He kept his hunger. That desire was strong. He kept his hunger to see them. And the word there, desire, is very strong. There's, it, it, there's, when translating English, there's different words, uh, Greek words that are behind it. This one is a really strong one. At times, even used for lust. Um, again, he's able to do this because it's where his heart was. He kept his heart there. And we see this really with church, church after church after church that Paul starts, where his hunger and his desire for them, he kept it in place. But what we see there, as I get to the main part of this point, was Paul was restrained. He was hindered. As he says in verse 18, Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. 
He was restrained. He was hindered. Again, think about this. When Paul began his second missionary journey, he wasn't quite sure of the route uh, uh, that he was going to take. You know, he's in Asia Minor, but what, did, what hindered him there? Does anybody remember? What hindered him? The Holy Ghost did. Remember that? Wouldn't let him. Here, who's hindering him from getting the Thessalonica? Satan. The man knew the difference. The man knew the difference at who was doing the hindering. He could tell. He knew this was clearly of Satan that was hindering him from getting the Thessalonica. He knew the difference between the two. And the fact is, Satan does hinder. He does try and restrain the work of God. He does his best to hurt the work of God any way he can. I mean, his name means adversary. That's what it means. That word alone is used 36 times in the New Testament. Twelve different names are used altogether. Slander, Beelzebub, slanderer, excuse me, Beelzebub, devil, great dragon, old serpent, tempter, evil one, enemy, ruler of this world, prince and power of the air, god of this world. And one thing we always see him present at, this is interesting too, he's always attacking local churches. Constantly. Matter of fact, if we have appearances of him where he's involved himself, it's interesting, it's always dealing with the church. Church of Jerusalem, Acts chapter 5, with Ananias and Sapphira. Church in Smyrna, Revelation. This is where Satan is mentioned specifically. Uh, Pergama, Revelation 2. Thyatira, Revelation 2. Philadelphia, Revelation 3. Ephesus, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Corinth, 2 uh, uh, um, Corinthians chapter 2. He works to hinder churches. He just doesn't send some of his agents at times. If a church is doing something, he gets involved. <clears throat> to quote one commentator on this, I'm gonna, his words are better than mine, let me quote him. He said, if you're going to be an effectual, uh, excuse me, effective servant of the Lord, plan on satanic attack. That malignant, evil, spiritual, supernatural person, Satan, that fallen angel, is going to get in the way of effective ministry. And he will. The battles will come. You, and and you, you can put this on a personal level as well. Like I said, when you determine, I want to do what's right, the battles are going to come. But you keep your heart in the right place. You don't quit. You keep on working. You keep your desire right. <clears throat> Churches, as we see in Scripture, are a major target for him. But it's not just the churches that we see. It's the leadership in the churches that he goes after. I mean, it's one reason why you see the requirement for a pastor. Uh, um, you know, he can't be novice to fall into the snare, the trap of the devil. Because the Lord knows he's going to be setting traps. He sets traps for leadership. This is why you see so many scandals at different times. Think about it. He went after Job. Why? Why, Job? You can think of it, that guy's righteous walk and a leader among men. And he went after him. The Lord allowed it too, didn't he? What about David, the leader of a nation? He went after him. What about Peter? You know, right before Christ is betrayed, the Lord goes to Peter. I've got news for you. Satan has desired you to sift you like wheat. Peter, you're a target. Why Peter? Why not Thomas? Why not? Peter was a leader. If he affects Peter, he affects others. 
How about Paul? Oh, you can see him always going after Paul. Over and over and over again. Now, what does he want to do? He wants to hinder progress. He wants to stop it. The word hinder that's used here, or thwart, very interesting. It's a military term. It means to detrench or to break up a road. To be given a command to do this, uh, to do this action. And that would hinder the other army. And so, even here, Paul is, is, is using this, trying to get our mindset to a spiritual battle that takes place and how you're trying to go forward and Satan is doing his best to break up the road. To just put a trench in to make it impossible for you to pass, just to stop the progress of the local New Testament church or your Christian walk. Don't be ignorant of his devices. Many times, what does he appear as an angel of light, doesn't he? Now, we have to remember this, though. And sometimes this is, it can be hard for our minds to grasp. And I know it is for me. Satan is opposing us. He does work to hinder. We see it here. He's hindering the Apostle Paul. Yet there's no question about it. He is under the providence and the sovereignty of Almighty God. Amen. He is. He cannot go beyond that. It's not possible. It's not. He can only do what he can within the limits that God allows. Just like with Job. Satan had to get permission to do that level of an attack. God allowed it, didn't he? God allowed him to sift Peter's wheat. God allowed him to be that, that, that whatever was going on with Paul, from the thorn in the flesh and, and different things that popped up in Paul's life. God allowed all of it. Why? Allowing the attack in Job's life Job was made stronger. You can see it by the time you get to Job 42. Peter saw his weakness, and guess what? He was made stronger in the Lord as a result. In Paul's weakness, he talks about this in 2 Corinthians, how he was made so much stronger in the Lord as a result. So God, in His, in his sovereignty and in just brilliance, uses the adversary for his own glory to help strengthen us. I like how one commentator put it. He brought up a great point. He had said, he said, I don't understand this. Why didn't Paul just cry? Why didn't Paul just cry out, Satan, I bind you! Satan, I bind you! And he said, it's simple. They didn't have TV preachers back then. He didn't know that he can do that. Those TV preachers could have helped the Apostle Paul. He really didn't need them. We have to remember, Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He must be resisted with steadfastness, the Bible says. So that brings me, even though I've been talking about him, to the second point here, the restrainer himself, Satan. I'll give you a couple things here. The, the, The last point, don't worry, that one is about two minutes long. I don't like talking about joy. It's the one I'm rejoicing. Who wants to talk about that? <laughs> Did Roy say yeah? That's... <laughs> the restrainer. Verse 18, Paul said, it's Satan that hindered us. 
I think you need to understand some of the things the devil wants to do to you. Uh, I'm going to give several, a, a couple of D's here. I'm going to go through them quickly. Know this, the devil wants to distract you. We see that when he tempted the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4. In particular, the temptation where he's trying to get him to bow down and worship him. He distracted him. He said, listen, he puts him on a pinnacle. Look at all this I'm going to give you. He's trying to distract him from why he was there. He's trying to tell him, I've got an easier road for you to go. You don't have to go the road you want. I can make it happen so you don't have to. Of course, that's all deceit and everything else mixed in that. What he wants to do is distract you from whatever God's purpose is in your life. He can use many different things to accomplish that. Don't be foolish and don't be unwise with the devil's distractions. He can use a lot of things. He can use your friends, he can use jobs, he can use money, you name it. He can use several things to distract you from what God has for you. Not only do you want to distract, he wants to deceive you. John eight forty four, the father of lies. Second Corinthians chapter 11 is where he deals with him as an angel of light. That's to me what he's to be feared as most. Because he is a master at getting you to do wrong and you think you're right. He's amazing. He's a master at it. I mean, think, think in the back in the Garden of Eden when he deceived Eve. I mean, she knew it was wrong, but he was able to get her to a place just by manipulative words. No, no, you actually need this. This is a good thing. The devil and his ministers try to make you think something is all right when it's actually sin against God. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. So ask yourself, maybe pray, Lord, what does the devil have me deceived about tonight? What is it that I think is just fine? It might be one of those things when you go home and say, you know, that church is really just off the rocker a little bit. You might be deceived on that. Measure the outcome. Measure the fruit of your efforts. The direction it goes. He wants to deceive. What is it that you're deceived? Maybe there's a measure of bitterness in your heart. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's authority. Not only does he want to deceive and distract, we know he also wants to disgrace you. Verse, I can even tie it in with the church of Thessalonica. This one, verse, I think, chapter 3. Let me read down here a little bit. Verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. He's talking when he sent Timothy. Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. He knew, he could, he, he knew what the devil's tools were, what he's going to try and do. He knows he likes to bring disgrace to make uh, uh, where God has been working of no effect, of no effort, of, uh, of, to ruin it, to ruin your testimony. So that others, when they look at you, they look at you with disgrace instead of respect. Not only do you want to disgrace, deceive, and distract, boy, he's a master at this. Today. He wants to depress you. Just get your mind. You can think about this getting in Ephesians chapter 6. It, it, it's, it's, his battlefield is there. 
He likes to work and hold that down. And he, it's, like, it's like this oppression that he wants to hold down. Because now your thoughts are clouded. And it just feels horrible as well. Miserable. He works to depress. Listen, it's not, it's not a coincidence that as our nation is pulling farther and farther away from God, the amount of people that struggle with depression. He knows where the Bible talks, the Lord wants your joy to be full. That's a truth, by the way. That's true. Paul's going to re- see where he's at right now, being restrained, but he's still rejoicing. There's no doubt Satan works hard to try and attempt to get God's children to be depressed. The ones that he has saved. I mean, I mean, think, I mean you can almost see where that's a direct attack on God. The ones that he has redeemed. The burden of sin, gone. His child. A child of the king. And he has them depressed. It's like, look what I get. It's, it's like a, trying to snub in the face of Almighty God. Don't be ignorant of his devices. And of course, we know from 1 Peter 5, 8, he, he wants also de- to destroy you. He does. Walk about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Listen, be careful. The devil will set you up so he can destroy your life. Be sober, be vigilant. Be sober, be vigilant. And I, and I think most of us here, we have heard the gospel many times. I don't know if any first-time visitors, but unless I'm going to say it, lastly, the devil wants to damn you. He would love to keep you blind and take you straight into hell. Last point here, and I'll cover this one very quickly. Verse 19 and 20. Here's Paul, even though he's restrained, as he's, he, he's letting them know all that he's done. He sent Timothy, and, and well, he's going to let them know in chapter 3 that, actually. Um, but I've, I've tried to get you. I was hindered. In verse 19 and 20 now, he says, For what is our hope? Hmm. He's remembering the end game here. This is, this is good stuff. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Listen, this is how Paul kept his sanity. We're looking at it right now. How he kept things in a right perspective. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? You can see he's getting ready to go to one of the main purposes of this epistle, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, for ye are our glory and joy. Amazing. There's so much we learn here about Paul's character. You can learn a lot about a person's character, about what they glory in. What it, what it is that produces the joy. There's a lot you can learn from that. With Paul, it wasn't self-glory. It wasn't anything of this world. Paul, Paul is saying there, even though I am restrained, I still have joy. What he knows is one day the restrainer, he's done, it's over with. One day I'll, I'll have my reward. And Paul... The guy's probably dead on right, right, right here. He's saying, the reward isn't some crown I'm going to wear on my head and just walk around and say, look, look, at, look, at, look at the reward faithfulness. Look what I got. Look at all these crowns right here. 
And sometimes we talk like that, but you can tell, as I'm saying that, how that is sinful. Paul's saying, my crown, it's your life, standing before the Lord. He said, my crown is going to be when I'm standing there, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you all are there. Paul invested his life for the Lord with the gospel in others. That's what he took glory in. That one day that would be his that would be his award. That was his joy. Again, he's not thinking, I can't wait to get to heaven and get all my crowns. I can't wait, he said, till the Lord comes and I see you standing before him. It was his passion. And I was thinking about this. I'll close it. You think about this. Paul said he, he rejoicing over those that he helped come to the Lord and help grow in faith. Since this time, I personally don't think there's one saved person who Paul has not had an effect in their salvation and their growth. Guy's going to do a lot of rejoicing <laughs> when we get to heaven. He's going to do it. I mean, the Lord used him to pin these books in. The example he gives us. His faithfulness, besides getting the foundation set for the gospel to go into all the world through his efforts on missionary journeys. So even though he was restrained, Paul still could rejoice. He knew how it all ended. He knew there's a sovereign God still in control and he allowed the Lord to control it. Just like when he got to Athens. Think what he did. Is it still in place if I go up there? Are they going to take Jason's life or are they, are they going to uh, uh, put him in prison? Yes, it's still there. Timothy, go. I can't wait. Head up there. Let me know what's happening. I need to know. I mean, you think how weak communication was. It was, it was on his mind. It was on his heart. It's where his passion was. So even though when he was restrained, he kept his heart right. He still stayed with hard work. He endeavored. Still keeping his desire. The hunger. For what God had given him to do. He knew the enemy. But he knew And he could still rejoice. Because he knew how it all ended. We were here for such a short time. Isn't it amazing how fast time goes? I mean, it is. I mean, I think I gave that statement out the other day. It still bothers me. That we are... That 1918 is as close to uh, uh, 1970 as 2022 is. That's freaky to think about. Now, we don't have a whole lot of time. We don't right here. One day this will all be over with. Stay faithful. Serve him. With heads bowed and eyes.